Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, episode 66 here on the podcast, and today we are very fortunate to welcome uh, welcome in former Purdue great, longtime NBA player, Brad Miller joins us here on the podcast. Brad, thanks uh, so much for taking time to talk to us here. Oh, not a problem. So, um, as we talk, you're in uh, California, is that correct? Yeah, correct, out in uh, Sacramento. Okay, so you make your home out in Sacramento. I want to start a little bit earlier, um, you know, than then, uh, before it got you to go west. I want to start kind of in your upbringing here in Indiana. Um, were you born and raised in Kendallville? Did you move there later in childhood, or how did uh, that work? I was work? Born, born in Fort Wayne, lived there for, until I was like four, then I think lived one year in uh, Auburn, and then moved to Kendallville when I started uh, first grade or kindergarten. Awesome. So I lived in Kinderville on, on good old Penrose Street <laughs> growing up, you know, from then on. So talk about your, your childhood and, and what was your upbringing like and, and when did you um, when did you start to kind of gravitate towards the sport of basketball? Uh, well, my mom's side was all basketball. I had one uncle that played at Oklahoma, one at West Virginia, and one at Kentucky. And um, those two, two of them played at Garrett is where my mom went to high school. And then uh, my grandma then moved out to the country. My uncle, my last, the youngest uncle, went to uh, Hamilton. And he was actually Indiana All-Star, and he's the one that went to Kentucky, uh, graduated from there in 81. So he was the youngest of the kids. But they all, you know, obviously basketball, so I remember going to first camp when I was like five or six down in Fort Wayne at I can't remember which high school, but I remember it was in like a little day camp down in Fort Wayne being that young. So, you know, it was just basketball families kind of uh, you know, what we was. I only had besides my mom and my had one uncle that didn't play basketball in college, so three of them did and that's kind of uh how our family, you know, is that whole Hoosiers yeah. go out to grandma's in the country, had the old basket up there and uncles you know tried to beat up on me and take advantage of me growing up until i got better and better and then kind of passed them up so you were so you what's your early earliest recollection of just basket do you have a specific game you went to that you remember do you have a moment you know is there a moment in the backyard that you remember um well i mean I, shoot i remember my uncle graduated in 81 so i remember going down to rough arena you know, for senior night, sitting all the way in the top, you know, at that point, and just, you know, just amazing how big that place was. I mean, I could have been more five or six, five or six at that time. So, yeah, you know, I, I remember going down to Rupp Arena um, and just how big that place was. And so did you play other sports at all in your youth, or was it mainly basketball? I did, um, well, mainly basketball, but like I did cross country and uh, middle school. I played golf in middle school, uh, played tennis in high school. Just, you know, sports was, you know, what we had back then. And, you know, the internet wasn't around. So, right. you know, growing up in a small town, you know, Kinderville, just ride the bike everywhere. And that's how what you did and get outside, play wiffle ball at the, you know, the corner lot in the cul-de-sac. They let us play with that little diamond shaped uh way the yards went because you know there's no fences back in the day so yeah yeah it's kind of around the neighborhood of, you know local kids and always outside it's amazing how um 
the older older people get that and that whole you know being outside all the time and the wiffle ball games playing in the backyard and and I'm not saying that the young kids nowadays don't do that at all. There's certainly some that do, but I know that there's more and more, you know, there's screens involved and phones and things like that, and you just don't get uh, as many kids that are doing that. I just think about, um, like, this time, as we tape this, we're in the middle of kind of the COVID outbreak and the pandemic, and, uh, you know, back in the day when we didn't have all these, you know, phones and screens, I mean, if you weren't outside, you, if you had to go in the house, you were bored out of your mind pretty much. Oh, oh yeah, you're just like, well, anything but stay in the house. Like, right. Man. Yeah, so I can just imagine uh, if this had happened when we were children, boy, that would not have gone over, yeah, not have gone over very well. So, yeah. um, so talk us through when you start playing organized basketball. At you know, at what age did you start to maybe get on some local teams and that kind of thing? Uh, I'd say you know, I students start to pick up around middle school. I mean, grew up playing at the Y and everything like that. You know, little Saturday Saturday games at the Y. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we all we all did that in my hometown, and so I mean that started ever since I can remember. <laughs> you know, I mean that's first grade on basically. Kenville back there at the Y so doing that and then I was just moved to middle school and you know I didn't really grow late but I was, so I was always ball handling a lot because I mean my mom put a little hoop up in the backyard so I mean I grew up going to the park riding my bike and she didn't let me I just go out backyard and you know we didn't have much but we found enough to get a enough of a little concrete back there to get some sort of slab and the hoop so you know I just spent a lot of time out there I mean I love tennis so I felt that was good with hand-eye coordination of throwing the ball against the wall. I always told people that, you know, it's a skill now to improve. Just take a tennis ball and just chuck it against the wall and just playing catch with yourself really, you know, helps <laughs> improve your quickness. So, yeah. you know, I think that's where other sports and, but you know, only being like right at 5'11 as a freshman coming into high school, you know, I wasn't, definitely wasn't one of the taller guys. There's, you know, a couple of guys that were six foot already solidly. So, you know, just kind of kept, you know, started slow being a guard and dribbling the ball and just trying to, you know, always want to get everybody involved. So that's where I figured if I could learn how to handle the ball, I could pass. And, you know, obviously that trait carried on uh, throughout my whole career. Yeah, some of, it's interesting because some of the former players that we talked to, you know, they, they kind of knew, like, elementary, middle school, like, boy, I was bigger than everybody. I was, you know, my, my skill set developed and that kind of thing. But, um you know, did were you noticeably better in middle school and then like your freshman year, or did it take a while for you to kind of blossom? Mine was always been just about getting my confidence because you know I didn't mature physically, you know, until shoot I was about twenty five. <laughs> yeah. uh, in terms of throwing out like as a man, you know, right? yeah, man, finally got a man's body. So I mean, I was tiny. I mean, I think I left. You know, you're talking leaving high school at two ten and two fifteen, two twenty, something like that. I mean, at 6'11", so I mean, I was just real skinny, so strength, but I mean, ball handling, shooting, passing, all that stuff, but you know, you'd have the guys a little bit taller, just bang on you, and it's like, well, you already got your man's body, I'm kind of in trouble on this one, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just kind of, I just had to wait, was always waiting for my body to catch up to, you know, I felt good about the skills, because I, you know, in freshman year, started going to camp up in Angola, is trying university now i think it was after my freshman year i'd gone up there the previous summers because it was close and 
I won like every award and everything you can win, individual team. And I remember my mom, like, Mom, I got to go somewhere better. This ain't helping me at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, so, you know, I wasn't getting an opportunity from my high school coach because, you know, small town stuff, but I knew what I was doing. I, and like I said, six nine as a junior and still not starting on the varsity team. Even wow. I'm dunking first person. So, I, like, I always just had to have that confidence in myself to know and let my body catch up to where, you know, I could take the physical abuse and everything. So you obviously grow a bunch in high school. Um, when did you start getting kind of recognized and maybe when did the recruiting process start for you? Uh, summer, sophomore year. Okay. Um, started playing like Tiff, Tiffany's AU ball and um, we had a panel, I think about five, five, six division one guys on that team. So it was, uh, you know, a fun team and, you know, we were small AU where you just played the States state and that was it. And if you made nationals, you went to nationals kind of deal, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, that's when we really started to go in when to get into AU after uh, sophomore year. And do you remember your first uh, first college program that contacted you and your first offer? Uh, well, I remember when it came going the summer before senior year, the first call I got was from uh, Homer Drew up at Valparaiso. Yeah. He called me about 7 in the morning. My mom woke <laughs> me up. And I was like talking to him and i've always talked to him ever since i said he got to know his son bryce obviously and but i remember as a man it's really nice i always remember this but i don't i think i'm gonna go somewhere a little bit bigger than valparaiso <laughs> yeah and uh that was the first recruiting call i got so do you remember when purdue first reached out oh it was that day they just were you know they Valpo decided to call it seven in the morning. Yeah. You know, the old days where there's no cell phones. Yeah. You had to sit your butt at home literally yeah. and was like, <laughs> all right, well, this is Saturday. So, okay. And then started at seven, you know, pretty much ran all day with, you know, a wide variety of coaches and, you know, calling from all over that day. Yeah. And so, and so our listeners know, you know, that's usually the first day. And, and things have changed over the years in terms yeah. of when you can call certain classes of kids. But, you know, that first day you can contact people. Like for us now, the first day is June 15th. Um, we can start contacting the, uh, the, the 2021 class. And mm-hmm. that's when, yeah, that's when those phones blow up, as you said, all day. And you kind of got to be by your phone to take those calls. So, so did yeah. you have a favorite school kind of growing up or was it something that you had to get to know <laughs> programs? I don't think any Purdue guys will like it, but, you know, where I grew up, it was in Indiana area. Yeah, my, yeah, sure. My big brother and stuff was IU, and I always remember I had a good friend. Uh, I'd go to his house, and he was a Purdue fan, and his brother was IU, so he'd go upstairs. To their bedrooms were one to the right, one to the left, and they were exact opposite. Everything they bought that had Purdue, they bought IU for him, for his <laughs> brother, and <laughs> it was a complete opposite room there, but... You know, obviously, I, I didn't really recruit me, and so it made me, made the grudge even better. And obviously, um, you know, I always watch IU Purdue games and growing up and see the battles of Coach Katie's intensity and everything like that. And you know, and just kind of definitely more I love Purdue fit my style, mm-hmm. who I was as a person a lot better too. You know. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. And and. I think it's interesting that, you know, based on that relationship with that person, you you know, you got to kind of basically see the rivalry 
and what it meant to what it meant to people and i think that's what better way to get acclimated to it than to see it you know on somebody's house like that so oh yeah but i will say we, we converted northeast indiana the percentages rolled a lot more to produce favor since i went there i know my home whole hometown was a man i use trash <laughs> so we got the mid 90s we started we got a lot more converted over to boiler fans up in that area than hoosier fans now there we go there we go um so um when you talk us through like you know final schools what was the recruiting process like and then what led you ultimately to commit to purdue um well, I put it down to I went visits on Oklahoma State where Eddie Sutton was the coach. Yeah. Big country Bryant Reed. You know they went Final Four two years later. Brooks Thompson played in the NBA. Um, you know I really liked that vibe. And then um, I went to Providence as a visit. Um, Rick Barnes was the head coach, and man, he's a you know I always liked him, and he is a good coach and. Then they had Austin Crozier. They had Dickie Simpkins. There, they had a pretty good team. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then I was see Purdue, and um, was my third visit. And you know, I canceled Louisville. Tried to come in. It was the weirdest place that I got recruited from was Georgetown. At the time, there were zero white people that went to Georgetown to play ball. So <laughs> I thought that one was kind of weird. But um, yeah, just Purdue. And then you know, just really came down to wanting to be home. Providence was too small. I mean, I really loved the coaches. Uh, Larry Shy was the assistant. Um, you know, it was just, but it was just so small. I mean, it was the whole top of the hill was the whole campus. I said, man, I don't, <laughs> you know, I want to see some people and have, you know enjoy college. And you know, Oklahoma State was real close to going. Of you know, trying to Big Twelve, which would have been different. But Big Country Reeves was there, so. You know, that was motivated, you know, close and then just came down to Purdue. Obviously, you know, Big Dog was leaving, but Conza and their brand, Brandon, Big Cat, you know, yep. Justin James, the team was real set. Obviously, just coming off a Big Ten championship, uh, you know, no one expected us to win it our freshman year, my freshman year, but, you know, we had the guys that were, you know, big hearts. And then, obviously, my best friend got to come down to Purdue because he was going to go there. So, I got to, you know, room with my best friend, today still you know was my roommate freshman sophomore year first to junior you know till he went back home but you know so it was a big factor in being able to have my friends and family come be able to watch me too you know right you know the family went to every single arena in the big 10 at one point at least during the four years you know that awesome. was the hardest for him but you know they found a way to get out there that's awesome. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions is, you know, if, if proximity played a factor. And, you know, to some people it does and other people not as important. But I think they're, that's something as you look back, are you glad, you know, that your family was able to see so many of your games like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm kind of a lucky group of high school, the group of my senior year class, we really talk a lot still, you know, and mm -hmm. a couple live in Florida now and some back home obviously i'm out here but you know we always had this really unique group and you know half of them went to iu and a bunch of us went to purdue so we always had the rivalry and the fact that you know to get your friends to enjoy experiences with you you know along the ride especially as far as it went you know playing for pacers and the bulls down the road where you know pacers i'd have 12 tickets on the weekends because all my friends <laughs> would get off work at three 
and be like, I'm leaving at 4.30 to drive the arena if you want to ride so you don't have to drink and, you know, drive, and then you got a sober driver after the game, me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, they would just load up the house and, you know, come down for the weekend and crash at the house and go watch their game. I'd go play, and they'd have a great time at the bar before and during, and then I'd take them home and be like, all right. They're like, we're tired now. I'd be like, man, just got done playing. <laughs> Buggers. Well, that's, I mean, it's a great, you know, we face that a lot when we recruit now. You know, you've got some guys who maybe we recruit around this area or in the Midwest. And, you know, we always try to sell that, that the fact that having your family see you play is pretty special and it carries with you for a long time. And so I would, that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you that because it's, you know, it kind of affirms what we try to sell and that there's a, it's pretty valuable to have uh, to be able to have your college experience, you know, close to family, yet far enough away where you can kind of go and do your own thing. But at the same yeah. time, you know, you want to be able to kind of share it with them as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know. I came, you know, after going to prep school, I just really wanted to be around my friends and, you know, people that, you know, I felt I trusted. So having them close enough to, you know, a best friend, hey, you're down at IU, you're at Ball State. And have, you want to come over back two hours, you know, from each school to school. I'll be back. All right, I'll come see you, you know, to have that comfort like that. And then home was, took me three hours back in the day. Now it's like barely two. Yeah. Since it's four lanes and nice highway all the way there. Yeah, right. Yeah. So talk about the year at prep school. So what what was that decision like? Was that something that you and, and the coaches kind of mutually decide on? Was it one of those deals where the coach was like, oh, you really need to go to prep, or how did that work? No, nah, that was one of the old school stories of, uh, you know, went on a recruiting visit to Oklahoma State. You know, sometimes you take recruits out to a bar, and that was it. And my coach asked me when I got back from Tuesday, and they basically suspended me my AD and him for 50% of the season for not getting caught admitting that I had a drink on a recruiting visit in Oklahoma. That's right. I do. I do remember that story now. And so, so when, as you look, as you look back on that, I mean, you know, that's a little bit of a ridiculous punishment, but as you look back on that, I, I have to assume at the time you were, it had to make you pretty livid, didn't it? Oh, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> now, so let me ask you this. As you look back on it now, is it one of those things where maybe it was a blessing or is it still one of those things you wish never happened? No, I mean, it's a, it's a blessing. It's a blessing and a curse, put it this way, you know. Yeah, that's a good way to, yeah, yeah. The physical, what, what I learned up there, who I played against, you know, basketball-wise, um, stuff like that having to be on my own and like completely on my own with you know there's no 20 bucks a week to do anything with you know i'd get cans out of the recycling bin in the dorms and rooms and freaking carry them three miles or two miles to the grocery store to change them in you know to have some sort of cash to buy some pizza maybe on the weekend or something like that so wow yeah it's hard to be alone but when i say you know in terms of you know, sacrifice of, you know, it definitely taught there's going to be sacrifices that you would not want to make the choice. But if you want to achieve certain levels, there are certain sacrifices that you have to make that not, there's no average person will ever understand those sacrifices. You know, high school prom, every high school person, except this year with no prom, but 
you know, they always look at that like, oh, you didn't, or, you know, it's just little thing, you know, things about high school senior events. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I had absolutely zero of those. Wow. I just got shipped off, suspended on Tuesday. Mom withdrew me from school on Thursday, and she had been talking to, you know, the Purdue coaches because Chad Austin was out there. Yep. um, As well, right then. And I was see Max Goods, one of my ultimate favorite coaches and guys he, he taught me to work a lot of cuss words that my mom's not happy about it's <laughs> all stemmed from this 17 year old you throw up there with this lunatic coach that has no media following him and <laughs> has no restrictions of practice time or anything and i live across the dang hallway from him in the dorm i'm not getting away from this guy wow yeah, Max Good and Purdue fans will know that name. You know, um, yeah. obviously you and, and Chad were there, and and Max is a really good coach and taught you a lot, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we played, like I say, to get ready for to come into Purdue. I mean, I didn't have – I was always underconfident until I'd be like, oh, man, I made a bucket, now I'm good. But, yeah. um, you know, we were playing college rules. We pressed the whole game like – we had to run 17 in a minute, side to side. Mm. If you didn't make it, you had to stand there, and the whole rest of the dang team had to do it. So you're like, talk about incredible shape. So I remember when I got to Purdue, a freshman, you're like, oh, you're a center, 15 in a minute. I was like trotting. <laughs> I was like laughing at it, like only 15. I was like, okay, I'm going to say a word. <laughs> yeah, take it, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm just doing 17s, like 20 of these at practice sometimes. Yeah, we still do 17 in a minute, make our guys do that, yeah. So when so talk about you and Chad's relationship. Did you guys did you guys get close out there, or is it one of those things where you just yeah, teammates? Yeah, we were, we were, no, we were roommates. Yeah. I mean, Chad, Chad don't talk much at all, so, yeah. you know, if you get him to talk, that's something on its own but um you know me and him i say we were roommates so we just kind of quiet neither one of us really talked a whole lot especially out there um but we got along really good i would see that i end up signing with purdue at the same time so the bond that we got to create on the court as well out there was a amazing head start you know i mean yeah our coach didn't care he was like a, a missed shot you can shoot it from half court as long as you're playing defense so chad took that to heart <laughs> be shooting nba plus three pointers I mean, it didn't matter he'd be like bigs that's a pass to you if they miss it so that's how he had an offensive rebound i'll tell you one thing about chad is he was he did play at both ends i oh he, yeah yeah he was and you two were were quite the tandem when as you mentioned when you got got to purdue um, you guys win the Big Ten your first two years. You're able to, you know, have a couple rings on your finger, uh, on your fingers, and then um, you you won a lot of games. I mean, I'm I'm looking here at the four years that you were here, and you lost a total. Uh, let's see, there's you you went 15 and three your first two years, 12 and six your second year, and then 12 and four your senior year. I mean, you guys very rarely lost in the Big Ten. Yeah, especially at home. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, you know, to lose uh, to lose a total of 20 we times over four night. years is incredible. My senior year for sure. What was that they game? Totally, they totally robbed us my senior year. Luke Rector's freshman year. Oh, and that was 97-98. We were ranked ninth in the country. Yeah, they robbed us down there. And lost by six down there. Yeah, 94, 80, 88. 
Right, 94 points for them. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Probably one of those games where they shot like 40 free throws. <laughs> they might have shot a few. <laughs> so talk about during your time here, What any any games that stand out in particular? Well, I just always remember I was having, um, you know, my first IU-Purdue game. I mm-hmm. let my neighbor give me an awful haircut, flat top, buzz cut. And then um, just getting it, I got there, I don't know, probably three hours before the game. I mean, I always got to every game at least two hours before the start of it. And I, that one, I just go up to the top of the arena, the Mackie, and just kind of, they got all the towels on there, every, every seat, and just kind of soaking it in, you know. That's like, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, like, this is a surreal moment. Like, I'm about to go start against Indiana at Purdue. It was crazy. <laughs> That's awesome, and and you know when you, it there's certain games like you can build them up, and then when you go, it's still like it's it's still everything you thought it would be. And like anytime the IU Purdue game, I always tell people that if they're going to their first one, I'm like, all right, you just it's it's gonna it's gonna deliver for you. I promise you that. Oh yeah, I mean it's that whole feeling outside. Uh, you know the atmosphere around the building. That just before you even step in, you know, it just feels different. Mm-hmm. Yep, no doubt. You and and as I said, you guys had a lot of success. Um, you had a lot of individual success as well. Um, you know your numbers, and I and I think one of the differences with you is yes, you were a big man, but you did so much. Um, you know, over fifteen hundred career points. Your rebounding was off the charts. I mean you know, over 860 career rebounds, but over 250 assists for a guy that's playing around the rim is really good. Um, you know, 163 block shots. I mean, you just did so much well, um, shot a really high percentage and, uh, you know, you weren't around the basket all the time. I mean, you had a good jump shot and, uh, oh, and just a really good the tapes. And I bet you'd see coach Katie yelling at me. <laughs> before I, the ball released. I shot a 15 footer half the time. <laughs> so that was, that was, I want to get into some of this. So talk us through what it was like playing for coach. Uh, I mean, like I say, it was fun because everyone, you know, the way he yells and screams, I go, I just came off prep school. You know, Coach Katie was limited by number of hours and what he could do to us. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like going to him like, man, he's kind of easy for me after Max Good. Um, I said he made it easy on me and Chad Paul. I mean, we're both kind of sometimes like, oh, this guy's not too bad. Because, you know, he just wants you to do things right. So yeah. it's like, you know, he'd be hard on you, but it's like, he was only hard on you when you just kept doing the same stupid mistake over and over. And that's what I learned at prep school because we had some very talented teammates, but they just had no basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the coach up there, he was like, I'll take these two having guys from Indiana over. All you athletic guys, any day, they know how to play the dang game of basketball. And I was like, so with me and Chad having the basketball IQ, you know, it was like, got along great with Coach Katie, you know, we we're learning what we could do, but, you know, it's like, yeah, we don't want to get yelled at, so you always give it a chance to get messed up or mess up, but, you know, we always, you know, that Purdue miles just dive after the ball, you know, playing hard, so, I mean, that's how you make up for it on a guy like, coach like that, you just got to show them that you're giving as much effort as you can, and 
just don't keep making the same mistake every time you do that then your day's going to be long and long and long yeah but you know it's just it's a great way to learn because it's that military like all right i'm gonna tell you how to do it show you i'm gonna give you an opportunity you mess up i'm gonna tell you yeah and then hopefully you better not if you mess up i'm gonna really tell you again (laughs) (laughs) and if you keep doing the same mistake you're just gonna think this guy's the biggest pain yeah but all you gotta do is just not make the same mistake so you know for me i loved him because he'd just break down a lot of people and you know for me it was made it simple just all right don't do the same mistake twice you know then you'd be good so coach katie's told he told me a story one time that you were as a freshman you were struggling a little bit as every freshman does i can't recall freshman i've been around the program a long time and i can't recall a freshman we've any freshman we've ever had that didn't go through you know at some point you go through you kind of hit a wall your freshman year and coach said that you walked in and said that's it i'm out of here i'm going back to kendallville do you is that a true story do you remember that oh i don't remember but i i could have seen it happening just because all the crap prep school and whatever who knows and he and and the way coach told he said he said brad you're not going anywhere you're fine and then you said no i'm going then he said well what are you going to do back there and you said i'm going to go home and open a bar with my buddies it sounds about perfect <laughs> and coach said well you know you have to be 21 to do that and then you guys had a talk and then you know everything everything went on as normal but uh but he told me that story one time and for some reason it always sticks in my mind yeah it sounds about right though. <laughs> and at the time probably sounded all and and to this day probably sounds great nothing wrong with Going to your home, simpler than everything else. Yeah, own a bar in your hometown. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good uh, pretty good gig, in my opinion. So your four years of Purdue, um, as we talked about, a lot of success. Um, You guys have a really good team your senior year, and you go over to St. Louis, the NCAA tournament, lose a heartbreaker to Stanford. We were eleven in the in the eleventh in the country. They were they were tenth in the country. I was actually at that game. I was an undergrad. I drove over to that game. Um, how, how obviously a tough game and, you know, anytime you, you know, anytime you, you wrap your career up, obviously it's emotional, but you know, what are your thoughts of that game? I mean, that was the, it was a sweet 16 game over there in St. Louis. And, um, you know, when it all comes to an end, you know, I've talked to guys about it before. It's just, it's just kind of a surreal feeling when it's all over, but what, what, what were your recollections from that game? Well, I got the scar underneath my chin. That's the day I started growing a goatee because I took about 12 elbows from Tim Young and Mark Madsen and um, the Collins twins, and then it was like, I don't know, 20-some stitches in my chin that game. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I remember I got called for an offensive foul when my chin went into Tim Young's elbow that cut my chin. Mm-hmm. So my chin got in the way of his elbows, and I got called for the foul, and that's when my chin opened up remember running in and he's like you want to numb i'm like just stitch this thing up and you know laying down as someone comes in and um well, he comes in and he's like how long and they're like five minutes and then you hear on the tv well he'll be back in five and they put like i don't know six seven stitches in it i ran back in the game past coach katie checked myself in went down back collins or one of them hit me again opens it back up got to go back and get like another five or six in it just to hold it and then you know we lose a close one and everything we were doing good and so then they got to take those all those out 
to put the real ones in after a game. It's just like, Ugh. you know, that, that's about talking about getting kicked while you're down. Yeah. I mean, so, you have yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah. The physical pain on top of all the emotional pain of, you know, losing a game. And man, that. Yeah. Those scars strong every day. I can feel it right now. Oh. Me, my last last basketball game at Purdue every day. Wow. That is, man, that is, uh, that is quite a story. I was putting my chin in there to whatever it was going to take, you know. Well, you're and you're going to. I mean, that front line for them. I mean, so many pros. Big, yeah. I mean, and you're down there. Not that you didn't have any help, but man, you were you were carrying a bulk of the load for Purdue. I know that. So, so talk yeah. us talk us through when uh, when your career's over. Um, you know, you know. Immediately, are you thinking, okay, I'm moving on. I'm going to be a pro. I'm going to play in the NBA. What were your What were your immediate thoughts when when the playing days of Purdue are over? Um, I'm going home to Kendallville with <laughs> my buddies, <laughs> drinking some damn beers for a week or so before I show back up anywhere. <laughs> well, well earned beers, as as I yeah. mentioned. Yeah, that was uh, after it all. My little vacation, you know, because it was always like the NCAA tournament was during spring break so it was like we get down to the tournament lose there and be like oh everyone just had spring break be like kiss my butt you know like <laughs> but i need to go back on monday after this happened on saturday i was like no i'm gonna take a few days on this one well it's it we talked about that on this podcast before that um you know the sacrifices that student athletes make and the trade-off and like you know Obviously, you get to do some really cool things, um, but the trade-off is, you know, you don't get a lot of holidays, you don't get your spring breaks, um, and those are, you know, those are the, uh, you know, the trade-offs that occur, and, and, you know, you don't get the normal Christmas vacation that the other students get, you know, and all those what's other... A, what's a holiday vacation? Yeah, right, yeah. Basketball runs through them all, that's why 4th of July became my favorite holiday. <laughs> that was... Uh, yeah. Hey, it's it's one of mine too, and you know it's funny because that's for us right now. The Fourth of July is like camps are done because we held all our camps in June. Yeah, in June, yeah. and then recruiting, and I don't go on the road recruiting, but the coaches do, and I help a little bit, kind of in preparation. That you know that's in July, and so the Fourth is one of the greatest holidays for college basketball people because yeah, it's a true break, and uh, and for basketball people in general, and it and you know you can get a good fourth of july that falls on a thursday or a tuesday and you get that big long break like that <laughs> yeah. yeah you're like saturday fourth of july and it doesn't help you it's just yeah weekend. no doubt doesn't do you any good so um when you wrap up purdue the draft comes that following year and you have such an unusual story in your professional career um you don't get drafted correct yeah and so what, you know, the draft comes and goes, and what, first of all, what goes through your mind, but then how quickly did teams call to get you on a roster? Well, I was completely pissed because I had, uh, I mean, you'll have to ask basketball people, I always ask this if they ever heard of the name Casey Shaw. <laughs> six, 6'11", I think, 6'10", 6'10", white guy, played at Toledo. That's who Philadelphia decided to draft when Larry Brown, I went in there for a workout and I had a hell of a workout. I mean, uh, Nazi Muhammad was in there. And I mean, because all these guys didn't know I could shoot because I just played got all my points in the paint and mm-hmm. all this. I mean, I mean, 
I shot lights out from NBA three. That's all I kept doing. I mean, I always shot these shots, just never got to shoot them in games. So mm-hmm. going to these workouts, I was like, people are like, I mean, I just shooting jumpers because they'd be backing up, expecting me to be in the paint. I was like, this is easy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And just had a hell of a workout. And I talked with Larry Brown. He's like, well, we got the ninth pick and then like the fifth pick in the second. I'm not going to pick you with nine. He's like, I'm like, I remember going, well, I had a pretty good workout. I thought maybe, you know, joking. I was like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, but I mean, if they did order my draft, they projected I should have been like the fifth or sixth pick. So honestly, they, they could have got a steal at nine. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, you know, then they told my agent, uh, Mark Bartlestein, all of this, you know, had Pacers were interested, like as a maybe, and they took Al Harrington that year. And then, Houston was an option, maybe, and they took Bryce Drew, and it just kind of went like this. And then when Philly came up, like that pick, and it was just like they picked Casey Shaw. I remember going off. I was at home, uh, my home with my mom, my grandma, my sister, best friend Steve was there, and they picked. And then the phone rang, and I called Major. What the f just went on? I said, I don't know this. Is that. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm out. And, you know, there's how many picks left, but there was no teams the way they were lining up that were, you know, talking that were interested per se that had a second round pick. So I just got in my car, went to my best friends, and he was, he had his butt a little tight because that car went about as fast as it would go around every corner to get to his house to get out <laughs> in the country because he lived out in the country. So we could just go to this little cabin they built and not be around people, TV, anything. Wow. And, um, so they say we tipped a few back that night, and then um, next day I was literally driving down to Purdue to clean up all my crap out of my apartment, and all I had was a pager, and it kept going off, and I'm like, crap, and then, you know, finally I called my agent, because that's who's been blowing me up, and he's like, well, where do you want to go? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I got all these teams calling. I go, well, let's start with who didn't have a freaking second round pick. <laughs> I go, cause I've had a second round pick and they, I go, you can cross them off the list of me. And you know, he went down a list. Um, it was, it was Charlotte, obviously, um, Houston, someone else. I don't know. I can't remember the other team. There was like four that called cause the lockout was starting a couple of days. So they only had like three days to get, players in and they were doing like their free agent camp kind of deal okay and uh so whatever i was like who doesn't have pick he's like charlotte doesn't have any big guys on their roster they had mason that was it like they didn't have any center so anthony anthony mason oh yeah Yeah, yeah. that's my first strongman vet (laughs) and um so basically it's like driving down to Purdue. He's like, can you get to Indy? I'm like, dude, I'm, I got to go here and get clothes. I don't know if I can make it to Indy. Obviously, I didn't have a cell phone. So as I get to Indy, just too late for a flight to Charlotte. So I'm like trying to, you know, you have to go to pay phone and do all this crap. Yeah. So get to a pay phone, you know, call him like, well, I can get to Cincinnati, I guess, whatever that night. So my one friend was with me and drove to Cincinnati, got on an early flight from Cincinnati to Charlotte. And then basically just got in there and did it like two days of workout. And, um, we, you know, they had a bunch of other free agents in, you know, Ricky Davis is who they drafted in the first round with like the seven, 14th pick, something like that. So he was, you know, got the first round treatment and, you know, just undrafted. I had to work and my butt off. And basically after those two days, they're like, 
you know, pretty much gave me a verbal that, oh, yeah, like, don't worry, we'll give you at least a minimum wage. Like, you know, you're good. Wow. So had a verbal, and then it was all of a sudden since I wasn't drafted, about, I don't know, July 6th or 7th, USA Basketball called because the World Championships, the pros couldn't play the NBA guys because mm. the lockout. So I wasn't drafted, and I've been playing USA Basketball throughout my time in, at Purdue, three out of four years, I did something um, USA basketball related, which is awesome, awesome stuff to play for. So made that team. It was um, Jimmy Oliver, another Purdue guy was oh, on yeah. the team. Yeah, because they picked older guys that were playing overseas. And the only young guys was Trajan Langdon, myself, and then Earl Boykins. And Earl was like the last person cut wow. on the team, the little guy. Yeah. Wow. Well, it was a... Yeah, we ended up getting third and got completely robbed by Russia. Where was the where were those games at? Oh, over in that was in um Greece. Wait. Yeah, that was in Greece. Oh wow. Was like, where was okay. that one? Yeah. Hmm. I did not know that. That's re- that's really interesting. So you kinda kind of a little loophole that allowed you to get Exactly. Into and I mean, that. Played played a bunch on the team and Rudy T was a coach because all the coaches were set up. And they could coach it. Rudy T is the head coach. Okay. Uh, Ron Kruger was at Illinois at the time, was one assistant. Del Harris um, was the assistant coach. So as I got in with them, and literally, like, they were calling, like, Mark, can we get Brad down to Houston now? And I was like, man. Because <laughs> then after that, I still had all these months off because I got done in August. So, you know, I got offers to go to, like, Spain, you know, for half a million was, like, a big contract. Yeah then and but i had to stay all year so i took one in italy that was a division two that would allow me to get out of my contract because i was like you know major's like well well if you go that day and shit happens and you need to go back overseas you gotta keep be good with fifa still so you know the place in italy gave me a chance to let me out of my contract no harm no foul Mm -hmm. um keep me good in standings with fiba so we kind of took that deal over in Italy, you know, and played a division two and, you know, I ended up making more money than everybody else because they didn't get no money till January and I had no expenses. So. Yeah. What? But it gave me a first taste of professional basketball and also a taste of I'm going to do whatever it is to stay over here <laughs> and play, play here. What city were you in in Italy? Uh, Livorno, which is right on the coast. Oh, awesome. That is Sorry. fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. That's that's good living there, huh? Not really. I got food poisoning twice from the market just down the road from my apartment. Oh. So the lockout ends. You go back. You go to Charlotte then. Yep. And um, and then your NBA career takes off basically. I mean, how many years were you in Charlotte? Because and how many teams total did you play for? Uh, Charlotte. And I went to the Bulls, Pacers, Kings. Back to the Bulls. Rockets, and then uh, one year in the Timberwolves. And you were with the Kings the longest? Yep, five and a half years. Five and a half years with the Kings. And um, you had a tremendous pro career um, And for a guy that was not drafted. So as you look back, like how did, – did you use that as, as motivation, you know, on the fact that these teams passed on you? Like did that ever enter your mind after you had been in the league a while? Uh, it entered my mind the second I stepped on the, on the court for the first time. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Uh, I was like, 
until I got my first bucket because I kept playing against they kept playing me against Miami who had Alonzo Mourning and he blocked like my first five shots in the league. <laughs> and after about the fourth one, one time I was like, "Man, can't you just let a rookie get his first basket in the league?" And he's like, "Man, lift that like real deep." And I was like, oh, "Crap!" <laughs> and then finally we played another team and I got a bucket. And I was like, "All right." And then some game against Chicago bust out like twenty five. Wow. I was like, oh, man, I got 25 points in the league. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. You scored 25 points in a league game. and, and Back uh, then, there's no, there was no three-pointers. It was buckets. Yeah, man, that is that is awesome. So, of all those sp- uh, spots, I mean, you guys had good teams in Sacramento. You obviously were a big part of their teams, um, five and a half years. Was that your favorite stop in your, in your NBA career? Uh, they always ask what's your favorite, and it's like every – Every year, every team is kind of different. I mean, growing up in the Midwest, Chicago was like the make it, you know, mega city. I mean, yeah. love the Cubs. I mean, so I've been, you know, Chicago playing there for the Bulls was, you know, I mean, even though I was there the rebuild, but when I went back, you know, we had D Rose and the excitement was coming back. Like, holy crap! Like to have the United Center rooting for you with the intro that, you know, everyone's yeah. watching the last dance. So that intro with the Bulls was, just, was the same. Then it was like, you know, nostalgic. And then, you know, so that was a lot of fun. Then I was playing for the Pacers. was like home, home. Yeah. You know, being in Indiana, you know, play high school, college ball, and now pro ball, you know, that's, you know, some sort of dream, you know, that not many people get to do that. So and then obviously coming out here, the – team was probably the best team my first year I ever played on in NBA was my first year in sack with what we had out here and what they had so I mean and then I said stayed out here and you know my daughter was born out here so Sacramento you know means a lot to me you know personally as well as you know enjoying the time I had out here I mean it's they call it Cowtown, but you know, I, everyone that comes from the Midwest, like you love it out here, just because it's country. But you know, they love their their kings out here. I mean, that's what they have. So yeah, you know that to play for a team where that's what it's about is you know add something to it. You know, over being in a big city where you got a bunch of different teams, and you know they might root for the hockey team or the football team or this or that. It's like this is what it is. This is all you got. Yeah, that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I want to I want to share a story that we have heard about you from and I and I can't remember who told Coach Painter this story, but it was it was some coach, some NBA coach, and he he said you know he said Brad was on our team one year and you were in the league of a handful of years at this point, so you were a little bit of an older guy, a veteran, and he said we we had, and I don't know if you had walkthroughs very often, but he said we have and. And uh, and so our listeners know. I don't think this is a big secret, but you're not much of a morning guy. No, uh, not at all. And so he said we had a walkthrough one time, and he said Brad shows up in this walkthrough, and he has his hat pulled all the way down. You can barely see his eyes. And we're going through this walkthrough, and he said, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he knows anything we're talking about. Like he's half asleep, or he appears to be half asleep, and does not know what's going on. And and I think he was at the time like you know, and I'm sure you weren't he you weren't the only player he was thinking this of, and he thought boy this is this is why are we even doing this walkthrough? And he said then we got to the games, and he said and Brad knew everything on that scouting report. He knew it, everything down to a T. He knew exactly what we were going to do, what the game plan was. And he goes and I I learned a big lesson then that 
not to read too much into body language at a at a walkthrough. He <laughs> said because you were dialed in better than just about any pro he's ever seen. So we we still tell that story from time to time when we whenever we have walkthrough uh whenever we're at walkthroughs now so yeah it was you know it's kind of well you can hear it but for me you know it's like we didn't have all the analytics either so like watching games i just had a, a rolodex in my head you know what i mean when you get to that level that's all you do is watch basketball and you watch who you're playing because Every year you got to do something better. You got to bring something different to the table. If you stay doing the same exact thing year after year, it goes same in college. You do. You got to expand your game, mm-hmm. add something different. But I just had to learn these guys so well to what their moves were. Like this guy, I just know he do a pump fake, go left, and want to spend before they even had you know full scout reports now where it's like 85 percent of the time there's no percentage it's just like you yeah. know i had to have yeah. my own numbers of analytics like by watching scouting and tape and you know for me walkthroughs i was like all right you know we get paid to play right <laughs> so i don't want to be the all-star and walk through we'll talk- play 82 games at that point and like it's like the games are what matter and obviously the point where you don't get to practice a whole lot because you got older men sometimes and you just can't practice per se like college where you get to right. go bust them up for three hours right you know two-thirds of the way through season so you got to rely on you know learning your craft and learning your trade and taking respect to it so you know if you just slack and don't know what the other people are doing then i mean it's almost easier to learn other people and then teach yourself new stuff because you're learning how to defend people and stop them, which frustrates them, which makes your game easier. So it's like a mental warfare kind of game you <laughs> to play out there. Who were, you mentioned Alonzo Mourning. Who were some of the other bigs that you would go up against every night, and who were some of the ones that maybe stand out as, man, these guys are really good that I had to go against? Well, I'm glad I didn't Carl Malone retired because mm-hmm. that guy was about the strongest. I mean, I had Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley, and then they put me on Carl Malone when I was with the Bulls the first time by myself. Like, no double? I'm like, geez, okay, this is not good. And then, you know, they'd leave me on Shaq sometimes early, but I don't think, you know, I don't think he ever dunked on me. I'm pretty sure I'd follow him every time. <laughs> Yeah, Shaq was a load. I saw some clips the other day of him. It was like, gee whiz. I mean, he's he was pushing dudes around that were, you know, if you saw them by themselves, they looked huge. And then, you know, he that just spoke to how massive he was. Yeah, and he got away with it too. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, this, he did. The Shaq, the Shaq elbow turn, dunk on you, that's an offensive foul every day. Yeah. But yeah. I never called it. <laughs> so you're uh, – very six as i mentioned long successful career in the league um you get done and uh you know did you have any ambitions afterwards i know i I want you to kind of bring people up to speed on you know what you're up to now and and that kind of thing but did you have anything when you were done where you knew you wanted to do something in retirement it was like or was it one of those things where hey let me catch my breath and then figure it out well i had the idea of love loved outdoors and bought a bunch of properties so i started up a hunting show country boys outdoors i the last year i was retired and just you know kind of was like i want to go hunting and all these times that deer hunting is always during basketball season so you know a good friend of mine has a show addicted outdoors that produces my show he's like come to iowa just for two days i'm like it's 
November. We're playing on the road. I can't just leave for two days. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like all these people do all outdoor. It's like, yeah, they don't watch. You have a harder time watching basketball because it's on every day during hunting season. Yeah. So, you know, I just had that just to, something to get away. Um, so, you know, start that up and, you know, just wanted to be around my daughter so I could build my own schedule so I wasn't going to miss holidays. Um, you know, not going to miss any birthdays, you know, not going to miss any plays at school or any little thing like that in life is basically what I retired. Uh, I just didn't want to miss experience with my daughter when she was young. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, and, and for our, our listeners too, I follow you on social media and your pictures with your daughter. It's awesome, man. You can tell uh, you guys have a really great relationship. And uh, I know that that's uh, those moments like that you just mentioned are really special to you. Yeah, it ain't not a price you can put on, you know, going to kindergarten, little whatever event of watching them, you know, Halloween walk and just all those little things, you know, that well, I got one, one daughter and that's it. So it's like, I just did not want to miss those real little cute moments in life. Well, and you're still a big, uh, you're still really tied in with our program and, um, you know, watch a lot of our games. And then this last year, we were able to have you back uh, for a bobblehead night. Um, you know, talk us through what it meant to come back and then uh, just, you know, kind of your relationship with us and the fact that I know you still tune in and watch games. And I got to tell you, that makes us feel so, so good when we, you know, after a big win, I might get text for me or we'll, you know, look on Instagram or, or Twitter and see, you know, you comment on, on, on our, on our win. And anytime our alums do that, and, you know, especially guys of your stature, it's just a, it's a really cool feeling. It kind of speaks to the Purdue basketball family. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's been a lot of fun, uh, especially being out west even more of like, it's crazy how many Purdue students are out here with, uh, especially with the way it's expanded with the global Purdue online and mm-hmm. with the engineering being out. I mean, there's a ton of Purdue engineers that live out this way, actually. And, um, you know, it's just one of those uh, pride and, you know, Purdue basketball is what it is still. We get guys that we don't have to go get the mcdonald's all americans every every year you know if we do like hey nice you know it's meant to be you know it's just a it's a personality about going to purdue and obviously i like the way everyone's representing purdue basketball has always been the heart of purdue university you know i mean we always want the football team to do good but it is purdue basketball so you know the older you get the more you appreciate the time there and then the more I get to talk junk to like Jared Jeffries, you know, Mr. IU down there himself. So, <laughs> you know, all these Purdue beating up on IU makes it real easy to <laughs> have a lot of fun with it over these last four, five, seven years, it seems like. Well, we, we appreciate all your support. And uh, I want to get into our – we, we conclude all these podcasts with the final four, and they're kind of fi- four kind of off-the-beaten-path topics that uh, – or questions, rather, that I pose to our, our guests. So I want to do – Start our final four here with Brad Miller. Our first question here is, what is your go-to music of choice? Go-to music of choice? Right now, right now I'd say it's, it's, it's for me, it's hip-hop now, current hip-hop. That, that, I wouldn't have expected that. So, see, I, I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners and everything would you know, outdoorsman, hunting, would figure you might be more of a country guy, but I think that's... I, think- I like country. It's just, you said go-to now. It's like 
a lot of the new countries all real slow. Or I got I like some of the more up, more of the upbeat country. Put it that way. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Any any particular artist you really are listening to right now? Um, listen to Post Malone. Listen to him. Um, we're doing the working on the Tootsie Slide. <laughs> there you go. Quarantine life. Yeah, right. No doubt. My yeah. kids are dancing around the house every day, trying to teach me dances. I'm like, come on, man. I'm not. I can't exactly. do all that. <laughs> okay. Question here. Question two here on the final four. What is uh, a favorite book of yours, or maybe a good book you've read recently? Um, I don't read a lot of books, but I mean, I always say my favorite one is always uh, Larry Bird Drive from back in the day. Yeah, I've got that on my bookshelf. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, you know, you talk about Indi- being from Indiana. Yeah. You, you can't, uh, I don't think if you play basketball, I said I didn't read many books, but that one is kind of a, a mandatory for an Indiana basketball, you know, player. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Very good call. Question three here on the final four. If you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would that be? Oh, this is pre-COVID, so we got to get rid of COVID. <laughs> right, <already>. right. <laughs> any profession. Oh, man. Um, and you've been really lucky. You know, you've been able to play basketball professionally for a long time, and then you yeah. got, you just, you know, got in to be able to do something you also have a passion for, hunting and outdoorsman activities so you've you know you've you've had a pretty good run here so this this might be a little more difficult for you than it would be for <laughs> others because you've done a couple of things you really want to do i don't know my a couple small businesses or whatever um i don't know any profession i just want to be a dad that's very cool that's cool and you, uh, as i said earlier you can tell that you enjoy doing that and i think you do it pretty well Final question here on the final four. What is a little known fact or something that no one knows about you? Well, if you tell them, how are they going to answer the secret? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to break the secret here. <laughs> uh, little known fact. Um, crap, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Some people know it. Yes, probably. I'd like to say I have one of the largest Cubs hats collection. Really? That's oh, pretty yeah. cool. I got a few hundred Cubs hats. A few hundred? Yeah, and pretty much 98% of them are all seven three-quarter fitted new eras. Oh, my goodness. I thought you were going to say, yeah, I got about 40 or 50. You have a couple hundred Cubs hats. Now, do you have a display for these Cub hats? Or yeah, they just kinda... they're, they're, all, they're all in my bedroom. <laughs> wow. I get to, get to do the bachelor pad, you know, the yeah. boards. Divorced bedroom, so I got all my Cubs hats just sitting on little thumbtacks up in the, you know, working on getting them color coordinated over quarantine. <laughs> Man, that is incredible. That is incredible. A couple hundred Cubs hats. Wow. So, uh, Coach Painter's a big Cubs fan, uh, really big Cubs fan. And uh, I know, and I've, and, and I've, I know you are too. I know you've commented on on Cubs things. How many games a year do you think you watch when the when the season's in play and we're not in the middle of this oh, watch. pandemic? Man, when I I watch a lot, especially being out here in Cali, because it'd be like I'd always put it. That was actually a great workout time for me. I'd get on the elliptical, 
now with no games, it's not as motivating. You know? <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, I probably watch, you know, 80, 80, 100 of the games and probably get to try to get to a couple a year, you know. Awesome. So is that one that's that's a sanctuary for you as well to go to Wrigley and catch a game? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I was thinking it was about time to go throw out the first pitch or sing the seventh inning stretch again this year. Yeah, but, absolutely. That's awesome. Now, have you, uh, have you taken your daughter to a Cub game? Oh, yeah. We went last summer to one. I mean, I got one when I played for the Bulls the second time. So it was on my birthday cold, and she's four. It was <laughs> her first Cubs game. Wow. And so is she hooked? Is she a Cubs fan? Just Cubs, you know. She still doesn't try to – you know, she's not much in the sports at all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that, I got her. I got her brainwashed on what the what it means to be a Cubs fan. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey man, I want to thank you for taking time uh, to chat with us here. This has been really really cool, and uh, we're just uh, so appreciative of of your time, but also just of the fact that you know you're still involved with the program. You came back this last year. I know anytime I've ever needed anything and reached out, you've been been very gracious with your time and helped the program out and we we really appreciate it so uh thanks a lot for joining us here on the podcast and we always put a little future hopefully my nephew gets gets around and who knows if he'll be down there on the football basketball team in a couple of years yeah your nephew's a big big guy you're He's a uh, big guy yeah and i remember him he came to our camp a lot when he was a yeah. young man so six eight three hundred pound offense lineman right now going in his junior year man genetics it's a powerful thing isn't it? <laughs> they help sometimes <laughs> well brad thanks so much for t- for uh, joining us here today all right have a good one all right Thanks, Brad. That was episode 66 here on the podcast. I want to thank Brad Miller for joining us and remind our, view, our listeners, until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.